Well, please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. We are continuing our consideration of Luke chapter 10. If you recall, we are in the the context of Luke's gospel where Jesus has transitioned from his public ministry in Galilee to now journey on to Jerusalem to do what he came here to do. And on this journey, he stops in a certain village with his disciples and they are welcomed in by a certain woman named Martha. And Martha has a sister named Mary and these two women have very different conceptions of what it means to be a disciple or to follow Jesus. So please turn your attention to the reading of God's words, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much, ser- with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May he write this word upon our hearts this evening. As I mentioned in this text, we uh, learn that this woman named Martha welcomes Jesus into her home as Jesus and his disciples are passing through for one night, two nights, we don't quite know, as they're headed to Jerusalem. And Martha anxiously seeks to serve Jesus. And her sister Mary has a, a very different approach to welcoming Jesus and his disciples. Mary merely sits at the feet of Jesus and takes it all in. I believe that these two women represent two trends that we see in in our church today. And the first tendency or trend, you could say, in in our our church today that we see is this this mindset among churchgoers or even church members of consumerism. That is to say, we can easily fall in the trap of of viewing the church like we view any other service or institution in a capitalistic economy. I'm in so long as I don't find a better provider or service elsewhere. And this mindset really took off with the founding of, of this country with religious liberty, which no doubt is a very good thing. But at that time, and the first time in, in over a thousand years, churches now were not guaranteed a membership. They were not guaranteed a congregation who merely lived in their district. They had to vie and compete for the same pool of individuals. And what this brought about is a certain mindset of churches thinking, well, let's make sure that our church experience is more exciting than the church experience of the congregation down the street. 
And this is what happens when we embrace a, a mindset of, of Mary with no Martha. The church is only a place to receive and there's no call to do. And oftentimes it's not receiving the truth of God's word, but receiving a certain experience that we are really striving after. Well, the second tendency is usually a backlash to that mindset of consumerism. And, and this tendency is to view the church as, as only an opportunity to serve. Really the only point in becoming a member of a church is so that you would have an outlet or an avenue to express your gifts and serve one another. This is what happens when we embrace the mindset of, of Martha with absolutely no Mary. The church is only about doing and there's no receiving whatsoever. So the question that comes to mind is this. Does the church exist to serve us or do we exist to serve the church? Or to put it another way, are we to serve or to be served? I believe that this passage presents a middle way, of course, uh, between these two poles. And this middle way is this. We are called first and foremost to be served and only after that are we called to serve. Or to put it with uh, using the language of this passage, we're first called to be Mary's and only after we are Mary's can we be Martha's and avoid some of her pitfalls. So this evening I'd like us to briefly consider both uh, Martha's mindset and Mary's mindset and then hopefully we'll, we'll bring this together towards the end. So as I say, Jesus and his disciples, they're journeying on to Jerusalem and they've stopped in a village, an unknown village, and Martha welcomes them into her home and she wants to be a fantastic host. But Mary, her sister, just doesn't really help at all, just sits at Jesus' feet, takes it all in, wants to enjoy the experience of having this renowned Jewish teacher under their roof. Now we have to be careful, we can't be too hard on Martha here. Martha definitely has the gift of service. We, we read in John chapter 12 that Martha anointed Jesus' feet with expensive perfume and, and ointment. Martha is seeking to, to be faithful to the biblical imperative of serving one another, which is a part of God's word that we see throughout. In fact, in, in the context of Luke's gospel, in the recent context of Luke's gospel, showing hospitality to Jesus and his disciples is a commendable practice. If you remember these, these two missionary journeys that Jesus sent his disciples on in Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 8, Jesus said to the house that receives you, that is to say the house that welcomes you in a hospitable way, bless that house. But on the contrary, to the house or village that rejects you, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So even in the context of Luke's gospel, Martha is displaying a very commendable attribute. She's seeking to be hospitable to Jesus and his disciples. So Martha's error is not in the fact that she is serving. Rather, Martha's error comes in how she is serving. It's not, that she's serve, it's not that she's serving, it's how she is serving. Martha is focused on her service. 
She has a very me-centered conception of what it means to serve Christ and his disciples. You'll see this in verse 40, where uh, Luke, or Mar- uh, Martha through Luke repeats th- this first-person pronoun, me, twice. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Her service is really about her. Service is good, but it becomes not so good when the focus in service is is really about our gain. It's about us rather than the good of our neighbor and the glory of God. That's what we see displayed here in, in Martha. What are some of the symptoms then? of of this me-centered service that Martha is is displaying. The first evidence is that we begin to compare ourselves to one another. This is exactly what Martha does as she she goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, can you believe that that I'm slaving away in the kitchen and my sister Mary has her feet up at leisure just listening to Jesus? Tell her to help me. She's comparing. She's comparing to what, what she's doing and what Mar- Mary isn't doing. And this is so prevalent in, in our human hearts, isn't it? We often grow resentful, angry, frustrated, not so much because of the work itself, but because of what we are having to do and what other people aren't doing. We grow resentful, angry, frustrated. The irony of this, though, is we at the same time grow frustrated, angry, resentful, but we at the same time take pride in what we are doing in comparison to everyone else. We kind of like the fact that we are doing something that no one else is doing. That's the irony. On one hand, we're resentful. On the other hand, we, we take pride. Lewis describes pride as, as competitive. We inherently like things that we can take ownership in that others can't. What happens when we uh, engage in this unhealthy comparison, we grow either resentful or prideful or both, is this service no longer becomes a service of joy, it, it becomes burdensome. In verse 40, we read that Martha was distracted with, with much serving. This word distraction carries with it uh, connotations of, of being overburdened, even anxious, weighed down with a, a certain task. Shouldn't surprise us, service will become a burden if it, if it is all about us. Why? Well, again, if, if we're comparing ourselves to others and we are growing resentful, angry, frustrated, of course, we're not going to be serving with joy. It's going to be burden. It's going to be a burden, as we are constantly grumbling about what we're doing compared to all those other lazy people around us. Our service also will become burdensome when we we begin to take pride in our service because we are, in some sense, building our identity around that skill or service that's being rendered, and then we have to anxiously make sure we're doing enough to maintain that identity. 
as we recently have read, uh, read in our reading of the law. We are called, every Christian, not just elders or leaders in the church, but every Christian is called to serve the Lord with gladness, serve the Lord with joy and not, not with groaning. Another symptom of this, this me-centered service is that Martha's service has become ultimate. Which is to say, her relationship to Christ was first and foremost about what she did for Jesus. And really only secondarily, and maybe not at all, was it about what Jesus did for her. This too is very prevalent in Christianity in every age. If you were to ask someone, what does it mean to be a Christian? I would take an educated guess that most people would, would respond in a way that emphasizes our decision to follow Jesus, what we do to serve Christ and his people. And we, you know, we may touch upon faith and, and belief, but a big emphasis will be our service. And Jesus' service to us can fall to the periphery. Think of rites as important as baptism. Very easy to make baptism, first and foremost, our service to God, our pledge to how we are going to follow Jesus, when really we see that baptism is God's service to us. It's his condescension to our level, reminding us of his covenantal blessings and promises to us and to our children. This is where we see Mary get it right. Mary recognizes that her discipleship, her relationship with Christ is first and foremost about Jesus' service to her. So the solution to Martha's me-centered service is to heed the example of Mary. And this is what Jesus says in verse 41. as He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. I'd like us to now consider uh, for a few more moments the mindset of Mary. The mindset of Mary. As I say, Mary knew that the most important part of her relationship, discipleship, was hearing the words of Jesus, being served by Jesus through his teaching and his, his word. So if you look with me back in verse 39, we, we read that Mary, as soon as Jesus and his disciples entered, uh, entered their home, she was sitting at the Lord's feet listening, listening to his teaching. Now in the first century, Sitting at a, a rabbi's feet was the posture of a disciple. This is literally what it meant to be a disciple. A rabbi would call a number of men to be his, uh, to be his disciples, and those disciples would literally sit at the rabbi's feet and memorize the words that were spoken to them, the teaching that was presented to them. What's notable in this passage is that, is that Mary as a woman is assuming the posture of a disciple. 
What this teaches us, or foreshadows for us, is the democratization of discipleship in the New Covenant. In the New Covenant, discipleship following hearing the words of Christ is no longer only for males, but females. No longer for Jews, but Greeks. No longer for freemen, but slaves. Everyone truly has the opportunity, the right to hear the comforting words of of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Mary knew, though probably not explicitly, but she she perceived what what Jesus speaks elsewhere to his disciples in in Mark 10.45. Remember that passage we, we read in our Declaration of Pardon, where Jesus tells his disciples as they're arguing amongst themselves, who is the greatest? And Jesus says, I did not come to this earth to serve. Or, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to this earth to serve his people. That was his mission. He had a mission that God the Father had given him before the foundation of the world. And Jesus came to this earth to fulfill that mission. He came to serve his people. One way that Jesus serves his people really throughout every age is through his words, his teaching. In this passage, that's how Jesus served Mary, was through his teaching. As as Mary assumed the posture posture of, of a disciple, And this is exactly how Jesus continues to minister and serve you today. It's through his inscripturated word. That's how Jesus ministers to you. That's how God is active towards you. Jesus delights to serve, minister, speak to you through his word in this day and age. I believe this is uh, what Jesus means in verse 41 when, when he says, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. I think the good portion is, is the words of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus. And this word, this teaching, produces this benefit of salvation which cannot be taken away. It produces true faith, as we read in our Heidelberg Catechism, which cannot be taken away. In Christian theology, this, this idea of Jesus serving us through his word is, is what we call the means of grace, the channels by which Christ serves, ministers, speaks to his people, the, the channels by which God delivers the gifts of his grace to his church in this age. As we Read in question and answer 65, it's the word and by extension the sacraments which are an appendage of that word, just a visible representation of that word which we hear with our ears in moments such as this. It's those, that word that creates and nurtures faith. A faith that will then produce fruit, the fruit of service to God and, and to our neighbor. This is why we first need to embrace the mindset of Mary before we can even think about embracing a mindset of of Martha. It's only after we've been served that we will be propelled to serve God and our neighbor. So Jesus serves us 
in this age through his word. Well, what does that mean? I would imagine that that's something that is probably quite familiar to you, that the word of God is an important part of the Christian faith. But what does it mean that Jesus serves, ministers, pours out his grace upon his people through his word? I think there's two misconceptions that we can have of of how Jesus serves us through his word. On the one hand, I think we can think it's a magic show. As if we, as long as our eyes meet the words of scripture, as long as we physically are present in church, whether we're sleeping, whether our our mind's completely absent, doesn't matter because as long as we are coming in contact with the word of God, magic is happening. Transformation is being, uh, is taking place. But the other ditch, the other misconception is to view the word as, as a lecture hall. You just plug into the word and it's a data transfer. All it is, it's only about knowing information and data and being able to regurgitate that information and data. So it's not a magic show, it's not a, a lecture hall. So how? How does Jesus serve us in this age through his word? course, I believe the right option is somewhere in between these two, and I was helped by something that historian Carl Truman wrote on this subject uh, a while ago. Uh, Dr. Truman was uh, one of my seminary professors, or I had one class with him, and he's a very insightful and and clear thinker. And he was uh, writing about this issue of how Jesus ministers to us through through the Word of God, and he, he talked about at one point in his Christian life, he he was fretting about how little he retained from Sunday sermons that he heard week in and week out. But then he, he began to think about his, his childhood. And Dr. Truman grew up in the countryside of England. And at that time in England, every student in, in the public schools were required to learn Latin through their primary and secondary education. And he he, he recalls this, this upbringing and, and realizes he can't remember the details of any one Latin lesson. He's, he sat through hundreds of, of lessons, but he couldn't remember the details of one Latin lesson. But he knows that now as an adult, the accumulation of those hundreds of lessons had the effect of rewiring his mind in such a way that now as an adult, he can pick up a text of Latin. And it's not unintelligible gibberish, but something that he can delight in. He can delight in the lines of, of Cicero, for example. And he says, M- much the same way the Word of God. It's not as if the effectiveness of the Word of God is necessarily commensurate with the, your ability to regurgitate every point of the past year's sermons. Rather, it's the incremental impact of sitting under the ministry of the word week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out, decade in and decade out, that cumulative effect leads to the development and nurture of of new habits of the mind and heart. I believe that is what Jesus does when he serves us through his word. He creates in us these new habits of the mind and heart. That is to say, it, it rewires our mind in a, in a way that, that 
You know, our early education rewires our mind. You can't think of any particular lesson, but it's changed how you think. Much the same way with the ministry of the word. Sitting under the ministry of the word consistently changes your outlook on life, how you view culture, society, the circumstances of what you are going through. In such a way that you can't just look back on one sermon and say that did it all. It's a cumulative effect of that steady showering of God's word. Creates in us new habits of the, of the heart as well. It changes our intuitions. It changes how we intuit the world. That is, our, our first impressions of, of things that come our way. This is why if, if you're seeking wisdom within the local church, you go to the person, the seasoned saint, who's been under the ministry of the word for decades. Not necessarily because they're going to have the answer to every theological question, but they're the people who have wisdom. Wisdom, which has been the accumulation of years, even decades, under the ministry of the Word. Saints who have these habits of the mind and heart ingrained within them. Those are the people you want to talk to. So Jesus, Jesus seeks to serve us by creating with us, nurturing within us these new habits of, of the mind and of the heart. This is what it means to be a Mary, to embrace the mindset of Mary. Well, beloved in the Lord, to serve or to be served, to be a Martha or to be a Mary. Well, this text, I believe, is first calling us to embrace the mindset of Mary. We are called to be receivers, receivers of the word of Christ. It's only after we are receivers of the word of Christ that we can truly embrace the mindset of Mary without her pitfalls, without her me-centeredness. I love how the Westminster Larger Catechism puts it. It says that the word of Christ, or to put it another way, Jesus' service to us through his word has the effect of driving us out of ourselves. When we find our identity, first, in what God says about us in Christ, we then are truly freed to not have to serve for ourselves, but serve for the good of our neighbor and the glory of God. In conclusion, listen to how one author has put it. Before we serve, we have to be served. Before we act, we have to be acted upon, instructed, fed, bathed, and clothe. Let us pray.